It's 12.09. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, back from the 2018 Wisconsin State Fair. A little bit of a tear in my eye. I always love the fair when it rolls around. It's always nice to be back in the studio as well. A special thank you to everybody, all of you who stopped by and said hi. I I love being out at the fair because it's kind of like old home week. I have former teachers of mine. I was going to say old teachers. The former teachers of mine stopped by. High school classmates. Um, It's just, and of course... And, of course, so many of you who listen to the program as well. I just love the chance to interact. And it's always nice. We look forward to the State Fair rolling around. And then, candidly, it's, it's always nice to be back in the studio as well. But thanks to everybody who came out to the State Fair. And uh, we had a chance to talk a little bit. I very, very much appreciate it. All right, let's get started. Our three big things. And actually, we have a very, very interesting program today. As we do on a regular basis now, The first segments of the program, we live stream on Facebook Live. So if you want to see how my wife has dressed me for today, and and actually this was one of these days where you can't go out wearing those shorts, and you're not going to wear a blue belt with that green shirt, are you? So, yes, my wife dressed me today. Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ. We live stream, again, the first couple segments of the program. Let us get started. If you're Kevin Nicholson, if you are Leah Vukmir, if you're Scott Walker, if you are any Republican running for office this November in Wisconsin, you have to be putting your head on your desk going, why does he have to do this? President Trump, who has decided for, I don't know, whatever reasons to pick a fight with Harley Davidson, has decided to escalate that. All right. Over the weekend, President Trump, again, expressed his disapproval with Harley's plans. Everybody knows the story now. Harley Davidson, partially in response to tariffs, not exclusively, but partially in response to tariffs. Harley Davidson, their market share in the U.S. is declining. So they are trying to expand their production and their sales overseas. That's their long-term goal for viability. You know, we're not selling as many bikes in the U.S., so let's get a bigger presence in Europe. Let's get a bigger presence in Southeast Asia. Well, all right, one of the things that has come as a result of this tariff war that the president has started is you have European countries who have decided to tack on a substantial import fee on Harley-Davidson motorcycles to the point of of if you take a Harley-Davidson that is married, made in the U.S., and you import it into Europe to sell, the new added tariffs add about $2,000 to the cost of the bike, making it cost prohibitive. Harley-Davidson's solution around that, and there's other reasons as well, but one of the reasons why they are moving some production overseas is to avoid the tariffs. Other reasons are because it just makes business sense for them to be producing bikes closer to where they are going to be selling the bikes. Well, President Trump doesn't like the fact that they called out these tariffs as one of the reasons why they're moving production. So this has been going on for a while now. Well, over the weekend, President Trump, expressed disapproval of Harley's plan, saying many Harley-Davidson owners plan to boycott the company if manufacturing moves overseas. Great. Great. If they continue with their plans to move manufacturing overseas, President Trump thinks it's great if Harley-Davidson owners decide to boycott um, the product. Really? All right, so Governor Walker says, this is his statement in response, 
I want Harley Davidson to prosper here in the state of Wisconsin. And one of the best ways for that to happen is to do what the president has called for, and that is to get no tariffs. But of course, all right, what's happening now is that we have monster tariffs that we have applied as a way to try to pressure Europe, and Europe has responded by adding their own tariffs. So the president says he thinks it's great if Harley-Davidson owners boycott Harley-Davidson. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, do you think people should boycott Harley-Davidson? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you are a Harley-Davidson owner, do you plan to boycott Harley-Davidson? Do you think this is a good idea? Is it irresponsible for the president to be encouraging this in any way, shape, or form? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's one thing for Harley-Davidson to be caught up in this global war about tariffs. And and it's very clear that countries that are imposing this tariff on Harley are doing it. Keep in mind, here's the politics of this. President Trump won Wisconsin in 2016. So a number of these tariffs are being targeted at companies that manufacture goods in states that Trump won. That's That's why the world is going after Harley. Instead of supporting Harley as a result of this, President Trump is now saying, well, I think they should boycott him. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is one of those situations where my, my response, and maybe this is going to irritate some of you, I criticize the president when it's appropriate, I support him when it's appropriate. My response is, for the love of God, Mr. President, shut up. Really, why would you decide to take on Harley-Davidson, a great American company. If you want to talk about, all right, the need to have no tariffs and you want to defend your trade war policy, okay, that that's fine. But why would you single out a great American com- 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 company and suggest, yeah, I think they should be boycotted? David and Raymond. David, you're first on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, yeah, I work in the trade department for a large company in southeast Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and we're impacted by these import tariff rates, and I can definitively state that however Harley imports uh, are being impacted by these 10 or 25% tariff rates, uh, that that hurts their U.S. production and resale costs. And frankly, even if they turned around and re-exported those bikes to to the EU, um, they don't get those um, extra tariff rates that they pay refunded through a drawback program. So they actually get hit twice. So if they make it on U.S., if they resell a U.S.-made bike to China to uh, the EU, they still are out the money paid on uh, China tariffs, mm-hmm. and then they're out on uh, U.S. tariffs. They, they get hit twice. Yeah, they're getting. A, what you're saying is they're getting a double whammy about this, right? It's horrible. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess look here's I, I understand big picture globally. I guess what President Trump is trying to accomplish. I disagree with the way he's going about it. But the idea of singling out an American company and and even even thinking about mentioning the word boycott to me it's infuriating. There's just no other way I can describe it. I mean that, that's the last thing that Harley Davidson, a company that is struggling to figure out what its place is going to be, you know, in the country and in the world. That's the last thing the president they need is the president of the United States mentioning the word boycott. 
I totally agree. Thank you for saying that. And honest to God, it makes me wonder whose side that guy, the president's on. Well, thanks for going. Like I say, and look, and I, I, I understand. I did not drink the cool. I have not, I have not been partaking of the, the anti-Trump Kool-Aid, but I'm not drinking the other Kool-Aid as well. And this is one, again, call me a homer if you want. Say you're being provincial, saying, well, all right. So we're, we're trying to accomplish the, this bigger goal. But I mean, I understand what Harley is doing. Harley is moving production in part because of the tariffs, but they're also moving production in part to be competitive. If they're trying to get a bigger foothold into Europe or into Southeast Asia, well, it, it makes sense to manufacture some bikes there. That makes the company stronger and it leads to growth in the U.S. We continue the conversation right there. We've really touched a nerve. If you're on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. Do you support President Trump calling out Harley Davidson? We are also live streaming. If you go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, you can participate in that fashion as well. 1217 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Again, live streaming the first couple segments of the program every day. Facebook Live. Go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, and you can watch and participate that way as well. Here's a text. If the president was running a business that was facing a $100 million loss in revenue due to a change in tariffs, he would take that business offshore in a heartbeat. Um, uh, 414-799-1620. One six twenty. Uh, Mitch says we've always agreed Trump's policies were more important than his style, but here he's wrong on both. This nonsense may indeed usher a blue wave into Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, this is not doing any favors for anybody who is running as a Republican in Wisconsin this year. Here's a text. Hey, Jeff, I'm a new Harley owner, went through the Harley New Rider program, purchased a new motorcycle. I'm not border. I'm not boycotting Anything. I support the president, but this is nuts. Let's talk to Rich in Sussex. Rich, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, what do you think about all this? Should we be boycotting Harley-Davidson? Absolutely not. Okay, tell me why. I mean, well, I'm a, I'm a retired employee of Harley-Davidson. I worked there for 30, 34 years. I've ridden motorcycles since the late 60s. Uh, you know, the, the trouble with the trade agreements happened in the early 90s. Now, something was going to be changed. It should have been changed then. Not after 20 years of trade agreements where the economy has changed around to, to adapt the international trade. And, and now you got him slamming the barn door. Now it's, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. I, I'm not, I'm not a particular fan of Mr. Trump to start with, but well, I mean, okay. this is just, this is just ridiculous. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. So you're, you're required, you're a retired Harley worker. One of the arguments is Harley-Davidson as a company is selling out the workers by looking at shifting production overseas. I mean, do do you buy into that at all? Well, Harley-Davidson was making, they were called knockdowns in Brazil many, many years ago to to overcome the tariff issue then. So, no, I wish they didn't have to do it, but... uh, you know, it's it's a different time and a different place. I, of course, I would rather have everything built here, but you know, I mean, it's it's too late. The, the economy has changed. The whole setup's changed. Well, see, and I guess that that's as I look at this big picture. You're exactly right. The ideal in an ideal world, 
all the bikes would be built here, and then you know you would export a certain percentage. But that's not just not the world we live in nowadays. And if if Harley is going to continue, it seems to me to grow and thrive and survive in this country, you need to also open up different markets. And if that means shifting some of the European or the Southeast Asia production to Europe or Southeast Asia, that that makes sense because it makes the U.S. production all the much stronger too. At least I guess that's how I kind of look at it from the outside. Yeah, I, I mean, the, for for Mr. Trump to, to ask for a bike, I, I mean, honestly, I've, I've ridden bikes for a long time. There isn't anybody paying attention to what he says, at least anybody that I've had uh, any communications with. Got it. Okay, thanks for the call. Well, I mean, again, it's it's this is uh, my problem is deciding that you're going to you're going to attack American companies because your policy has caused them, at least in the short term, to suffer. And so, I mean, so what's Harley-Davidson supposed to do? Harley-Davidson's supposed to say, all right, well, we need to get into that European market as a result of these tariffs that, by the way, we had nothing to do with. Um, we're now being priced out of the European market because you have these different, all of a sudden the cost of our bike has gone up a couple thousand dollars, which makes it cost prohibitive. So we're not going to be able to grow our company and, and we're getting yelled at. I mean, we're not the ones that implemented the tariff. Let's talk to Basil and Franklin. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi. Uh, yeah, I've been riding motorcycles since 1953. I've watched Harley go through the ups and downs of the imports coming into the United States, and they kind of managed around it, and they got their 125, 175, the K to KH, and kept on going. I don't think we need a president to come in and say we should boycott boycott, yeah. <laughs> boycott a uh, company that's been in business for umpteen years. Now, if they have to move some of their product over to the European or Asian area to compete, I think that's great, okay? They know what they're doing. But if they're going to go over there to bring something back here, no, that uh, that I wouldn't go with. I you... bought a lawnmower that's uh, got a Japanese engine in it, and there was no reason because we had to come to in Clinton and right. uh, Briggs and Stratton. Uh, we're we're people that can build and build quality. Mm-hmm. If you want to take and go to uh, some other place, then keep whatever you're doing over there, over there. Right, and that's my understanding. Right. Yeah, Basil, thanks for calling. And, and that's my understanding of what, uh, all right, Har- Harley-Davidson's plans to expand overseas are driven by a couple things. First of all, you want to be closer to where the market is. So, I mean, that that's one of the things that's driving like a plant in Southeast Asia because they're trying to expand in there. That's just something in a global economy that makes business sense. Then it makes even more business sense, though, when arbitrarily the cost of their bikes is now, as a result of these tariffs, going to go up a couple thousand dollars. They're saying, well, okay, that, that's uh, that's just going to, if anything, it's going to speed the overseas production. A ri- I know it's a cliche, but it's true. A rising tide lifts all boats. We want Harley-Davidson to succeed, to succeed. And if it's a situation where their international component can increase sales and makes money, that's good for the American workers as well. But regardless, I mean, for... a. For an American president to be calling for a boycott, I think it's great that they would boycott, to me is just mind-boggling. Um, it's just mind-boggling. 
Let's uh, see. Kevin writes, an American president cheering on the failure of an American company. He just last year was promoting Harley-Davidson and even brought in a couple Harley bikes through the White House gates for some photo opportunity to act like he was doing stuff and things to better manufacturing in this company. You know, what What a joke. And again, I understand that the big principle about, you know, tariffs. I would love to see a world where you have no tariffs. I'm an ultimate free trader, and I understand that we have some bad trade agreements, particularly, particularly with China, less so with Canada, less so with Mexico, less so with Europe, but particularly with China. Well, if that's the case, okay, let's target those agreements, let's renegotiate them, as opposed to, here, we're going to launch into a trade war, and Harley-Davidson ends up being one of the victims of this, and then when they try to respond, a president says boycott him. Well, I mean, this puts Wisconsin politicians in a, in a real trick box. It didn't. He's not doing any favors for Scott Walker. He's not doing any favors for Leah Bukmir. He's not doing any favors for Kevin Nicholson. And he's not doing any favors for a great American company. All right, 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thanks for participating in our Facebook Live. Like I say, every day we're going to be live streaming the first couple segments, the first topic of the program, so you can check that out as well. It's 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Packer sees his looming, and that means it's time to start looking at magic numbers around Major League Baseball. Where do the Brewers stand? Get the inside scoop from Greg Matzik tonight on Sports Central at 707. I, I am not bandwagon jumping. I, I'm not. But the Brewers are, are not doing well, and they, they need to figure out a way to turn it around. The, uh, the, the pitching, which was a strong point early in the season, has fallen apart. Uh, starting pitching's gone downhill, and the, the bullpen, what was the phrase I saw? I think somebody wrote in the paper, leaking oil, which is a charitable way to describe it. And it's it. you can look at magic numbers, but they got to figure out a way to turn around. You see that yesterday, Rue, who's producing the show today, they had 19 hits. They had. It is almost impossible to lose a nine-inning game with 19 hits, and they lost. They, they left, what, 12, 13 people on base? They lost. How do you lose with 19 hits? That earlier in the season, 19 hits was a week, and they figured out ways to win. But um, and, and, of course, part of the way you lose with 19 hits is you leave 12 or 13 or 14 guys on base, and your pitching staff gets torched and gives up eight runs. It's not bandwagon jumping. It's not. I'm, I'm a fan. I listen to the games. I watch the games. I go to the games. I am a fan. But you watch what's going on here, and you say, boy, this this team's – They've, they've got some problems going on. All right. Let us switch gears for a moment. The, <laughs> if, and, and, and I'm only half being funny here. If you surround yourself with kooks, if you surround yourself with kooks or sleazy people or, I don't know, dysfunctional folks, you shouldn't be surprised that they then act in a sleazy or dysfunctional or a kooky fashion. That's why, you know, for example, that now Robert Mueller, the special prosecutor, is talking to this Michael Cohen, who was the sleazebag lawyer who was affiliated with, you know, President Trump, who did this work for President Trump. And, and the, the biggest thing that I will tell you that, that I have been saying from the beginning is, what, what, why would somebody like Donald Trump even associate themselves with some fly-by-night sleazebag like Michael Cohen? And so then, 
you know, we, we find out that he's now, in my opinion, engaging in highly unethical behavior of taping his client. I just can't imagine a lawyer doing that. That's extremely unethical. But, of course, when, when you're, you're dealing with somebody like Michael Cohen, that's the type of stuff that you would expect. And it, it's President Trump's fault that before he's president, he decides to get involved with a guy like that. And I do think it, it tells you a lot about people, the people that they choose to associate with. All right, now let's turn back time. On any reality show, and I'm a TV junkie, on any reality show, now keep in mind, these shows, they cast them. It doesn't matter whether you're Survivor or The Apprentice or, or a Big Brother, any of these shows. What happens is they cast the people. It's They don't just pick a random, like, 12 people. They cast people, and they cast people with the idea, the bachelor, the bachelor, any of these things, they cast people with an idea towards creating conflict. If you have 12 people who get along just fine on the island, it's going to be a boring show, right? That, that's just, and you don't want a boring show. Which, so when you cast people and you bring them onto shows, you want, you want the nice guys, you want, it's kind of like the old wrestling thing. You want the heroes and then you need the villains. And so they cast to find villains. You know, people who are dysfunctional and antisocial and mean and backstabbing and all those different types of things because it creates conflict. Well, all right, the type of person who fits into that characteristic might be great, might absolutely be great um, on, on one of those shows. But do you really want to associate with somebody like that in real life? Which brings me to the, this Amorosa, and, and that, that's that's how she's known, kind of like... Cher or Madonna, you know, it, it's it's Amorosa. Beyonce, it, it's Amorosa. Amorosa was the villain on three different seasons of first The Apprentice, and then later, the I think she was on The Celebrity Apprentice. She was a celebrity because she was on The Apprentice in the first place. And if you can remember back in those days, she was she was the nasty, mean, backstabbing villain, the person that people loved to hate. Right. And my sense was that this was not necessarily an act. You know, and I I was never a huge fan of The Apprentice, but I would kind of dip in because it was a pop culture thing. But she was one of those people that, again, people hated her. So she attracted attention because people hated her and they tuned in to see what sleazy thing that she was going to do, what conniving thing she was going to do. And I think most people ended up rooting against her. Well, after. President, when President Trump was running for office, um, he, he brought her onto the campaign. And then after he got elected, he brought her into the White House. He hired this woman in the White House as, I don't know, she was like a liaison to the black community or, or something like that. And it was always kind of mind boggling to me, number one, when he brought her in, because I'm thinking, I, I'm not sure how much this woman whose claim to fame is being on celebrity TV shows, how much she's going to really connect with the the black experience in this country. That was number one. But number two, if you watched her on these different TV shows or you saw her outside of that, you understood that she was a loose cannon rolling around the deck, this angry sort of half-unhinged woman. Why would you bring her in to a White House? Well, why would you bring Michael Cohen in as well? Well, she she got fired a while back. And she's got a book that is coming out tomorrow called Unhinged, which is a reference to President Trump. 
And she's making all sorts of allegations in the book. And now she's on the, the interview tour. And she's talking about how it's very unclear to me whether she heard um, about or, or heard a tape where President Trump, when he's, again, Donald Trump on The Apprentice, uses the N-word. It's a little bit murky there. She's talking about how she was unceremoniously dumped from the White House. She had a very, very interesting interview this morning with Savannah Guthrie on the Today Show. I it, It's 11 minutes long. I don't think I'm going to play the whole thing, but I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to play a portion of it to give you a flavor of what occurred I'll share with you what President Trump is tweeting about this woman that he hired and brought into the White House, and then we're going to discuss it. So that's all coming up in just a moment. Stick around. 1243, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Amarosa is next. Hold on to your hats. 1246, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The Wisconsin primaries are just a day away. Which race, which race, which race is likely to be tighter? Democrats running to challenge Governor Walker or Republicans looking to challenge Tammy Baldwin? John McCure has what you need to know. 350 on Wisconsin's afternoon news. I'm going to make predictions. I'm going where angels fear to tread. I will make predictions. In the one o'clock hour of today's show, sometime probably after one thirty, and we're going to talk about the primary elections for tomorrow as well. So stick around for that. Right now, I was doing the lead-in that this Amarosa, who was the villain on various iterations of The Apprentice, for reasons that pass understanding, President Trump hires her to work in the White House. It ended badly. She is now coming out with a book tomorrow called Unhinged. She said a lot of controversial things. She did a very, very bizarre interview this morning with Savannah Guthrie. The whole thing runs like 12 minutes. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but I want to play a portion of it it to you to give you a sense of her. Then we're going to talk about the president's response. Then we're going to talk about this whole mess. All right, here's the interview. Now to our exclusive live interview with Omarosa Manigault Newman. She first entered the public eye, of course, in 2004, becoming a star contestant on the first season of The Apprentice and then The Celebrity Apprentice in 2008. Nearly a decade later, the Trump campaign came calling, and after Trump's election victory, so did the White House. Omarosa joined the administration as director of communications for the White House Office of Public Liaison, focusing on African-American outreach. She was fired by Chief of Staff John Kelly last December in a meeting in the Situation Room that she recorded. Well, now Omarosa is providing NBC News with a new exclusive excerpt of a phone call she says she received from the president the day after her firing. Omarosa, Omarosa, what's going on? I just saw on the news that you're thinking about leaving. What happened? General Kelly, General Kelly came to me and said that you guys wanted me to leave. No, I, I, nobody even told me about it. Nobody, wow. You know, they run a big operation, but I didn't know it. I didn't know that. Damn it. I don't love you leaving at all. Well, Omarosa is now out with a new book. It's called Unhinged. It provides an inside look at both the Trump campaign and the White House, the administration already hitting back, saying the book is, quote, riddled with lies and false accusations. And that brings us to Omarosa, who joins us now. Good morning. Good to good see morning. you. I'm glad to be back here at the Today Show. Nice to see you. I should let you know I am recording this conversation. Oh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, what a coincidence. Yes. You brought us a new tape. Mm-hmm. Um, the president, the day after you were fired, we just heard it. He says he didn't know about it. He doesn't like you leaving the White House. Is he lying in that tape? I'm not certain, but what's most concerning, one, why was I locked in the Situation Room for almost two hours? Why was I not allowed to leave? I'll get to the second part. And lastly, when I asked to leave 
and I asked for counsel, and I asked for my husband, why was I denied at least four times. When I spoke to him and he said he had no idea, that should be alarming to any American, that the President of the United States does not know what's happening with an assistant okay, to the well, president who's known him for 15 years. Okay, but just to be, I mean, you brought the tape. You, Absolutely. Is he lying? Because yesterday you told Chuck on Meet the Press you think he did know you were fired. Yes, because this there tape, was. Right. This tape shows him saying, oh, I didn't know you were fired. Is he lying? Yes, because there were subsequent calls after that. Okay. There is a complete organization between the two of them. He probably instructed General Kelly to do it so that he could keep his hands clean when he spoke to me. I'm wondering, is he sincere? The other question is, is General Kelly running this country or is the president running this country? Because he said he didn't know and they run a big operation. That's Who is the, the they? Issue. Wait, 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 Who is the they in the tape? You can ask the question and then ask another question without my answer. You asked me, do you think he knows? The and answer is, not sure. I'm not certain. Here's the other part. Who's running this country? When Donald Trump says that they run a big operation, who is the they? Is General Kelly puppeting Donald Trump? Okay. Is he truly running this country instead okay. of the president? Do you think the president lies often? Oh, absolutely. In fact, there How was a report. How long have you known that? There was a report that said that he lied almost 4,000 lies in the last year. Have you known that he's, he is a liar, as you say? Well, absolutely. He Why tells, don't you work for him? Savannah, slow down. I'm going to ask your question. Don't worry. I'm here. I've got all the time. Yeah, no, but I'm yeah. so you don't have to ask 10 questions in one second. It's OK. First of all, he is known to be an entertainer, to exaggerate. But I never expected him to lie to the country. I thought that he would take his oath of office seriously, that he would be committed to advancing this country. But instead, as I stated, there was a report that said he has said something like 4000 lies since he's taken office. So he absolutely has an issue with the truth. And sometimes he battles with reality. Yeah. Let's talk about um, the tape of the Situation Room. You, yeah, you, talk you about talked it. about it. You obviously want to talk about I it. Do. John Kelly inside the Situation yes. Room. Before we get to the, the substance of it, I'm just curious. Um, how did you tape him? The Situation Room is one of the most secure places in the White House. You're supposed to leave your phone. It's the honor system. You're supposed to leave your devices at the door. Did you I'll carry just, a phone, a recording device? How did you do I'll it? I'll just leave that to your imagination. I will say this. Well, that why it's be unacceptable. Coy? I'm not being coy. Okay, so I'm how being did you very, do it? very clear here. It's not acceptable for four men to take a woman into a room, lock the door and tell her wait and tell her that she cannot leave. It also is unacceptable to not allow her to have her lawyer or her counsel. And the moment I said I would like to leave and they said I can't go, it became false imprisonment. Calm down. And the other part of this is I'm going to tell you that there are other people who have been treated this way by General Kelly. There's a lot of very corrupt things that are happening in the White House. And I am going to blow the whistle on a lot of this. Are you concerned at all about any legal consequences for taping they in a situation room? But they are you concerned? Are no, you absolutely not? Because I have protections. The moment that I've decided to blow the whistle on a lot of the corruption going on in the White House, there are protections that are afforded to me. So let's be clear. The things that General Kelly is doing in this White House should concern all Americans. You've heard, I'm sure, by now what Sarah Huckabee Sanders had to say about the fact that this tape happened. What does it say about your own integrity if you're going around taping General Kelly in this situation room, which is supposed to be mm -hmm. secure, taping President Trump at least once? And I think you've indicated more than that. 
Why are you taping people, and what does that say about you? But don't you see the irony of, of all people, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, saying that <laughs> this book is full of lies when she lies to the American people every day? Um, and, two and the right part, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. I guess oh, I'm, no, no, you're no. here before me, so but I'm asking you. Savannah, had I not recorded this, people would say she has a credibility issue. Everything that's in my book, Unhinged, everything that you see is, in quotes, is verifiable, it's documented, and it's cooperated. Why did you feel you had to record? Because the first thing they do when someone leaves the White House, Savannah, is say they don't have credibility, they're just a coffee person, they didn't have access, they never talked to the president, they weren't in the room. Why would you and work I can in a cesspool like that? that? Well, first of all, it's an honor to serve this country. Unfortunately, this White House has turned that upside down, where this White House does not respect normal procedures that usually go with the dignity of serving in the White House. I thought it would be different, but unfortunately, Donald Trump is letting the country down. Let's talk about one of the most explosive allegations in the book. And actually, There's a lot. There are many. There are. <laughs> Luckily, lot. you said you'd be here a while, so we're good. Um, subsequently, you said you've actually heard, you told Chuck on Meet the Press yesterday, that you have heard a tape from The Apprentice Years in yes. which Donald Trump is heard using the N-word, yes. a racial multiple, epithet. Multiple times. You heard the tape. Multiple times. Now, let me be clear. I wasn't the one that broke the story about the N-word tape. It happened during the fall, during the campaign. Um, and people were contacting me and reaching out to me, trying, trying to expose this. And, in fact, there was a conference call among campaign workers, Jason Miller, Lynn Patton, and Katrina Pearson, where we talked about the possibility of him saying it. And his own spokesperson, Katrina Pearson, said, I have heard from a credible source that, yes, he said but it. But I had so you the here before me. Is, you actually heard I the tape. Absolutely. So let's get, so, let's so get what's into the it. Question, how, long is, how long is this tape? Um, there are multiple tapes. Let's establish that. And when you read my book tomorrow, which is available tomorrow on Hinge, you'll see that there are three different sources who corroborate the different things but that you he says. But you say you have since the book I closed have. and since was published closed, and put in print, heard you have it heard it. How long yes. is that tape? It's about three minutes. Is it audio or video? Because it's supposed to be camera out tape. It's audio. Okay. And but, what is the context? But how I'm going to allow you, this? just like most Americans, to read the book. But this isn't in the book. About, no, no, no. But the talk about the inward tape is throughout the but book. You have heard this Have tape. you read the book? Yes, but have you? Okay. Have you, I have. I answered that question, Savannah. So what's the next question? Just I was curious, the context in which you allege the president he used the word He was talking about some African-Americans in the production okay. during the course of The Apprentice, which is unacceptable. And here's the thing. Why don't we ask Donald Trump a simple question? Donald J. Trump, have you ever used the N-word? And allow him to respond, because the people who have this tape intend to release this tape. Unfortunately, like I said, they may be using it for political motivation. So why don't we simply ask the White House to issue a statement whether or not the president of the United States Do you think they will ever, release it? I'd like to see. I, I would like to see if Sarah Huckabee Sanders, as the spokesperson, will ask the president, or maybe a journalist will ask the president, have you ever, ever uttered that word about African-Americans? Chef Wagner, WTMJ. The interview goes on for a few more minutes, but you get an idea as to what this woman is saying. When we come back, I'm going to share with you the president's response via Twitter, and then we're going to discuss for a segment. That was Amorosa on the Today Show this morning, 1257. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 109, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, have you ever had a friend or a relative or someone who, who starts dating somebody, you know, maybe maybe it's a male friend of yours who, you know, introduces you to some woman. Maybe, maybe they end up getting married or it could be vice versa. And and you meet them 
and you know that this other person, like let's say it's it's your best friend, and you know he, he's introducing you to his girlfriend, okay. and and you just you just flat out know that she's bat crap crazy. I mean, have you ever had, you, you know have you ever known somebody like that? You just go, my God, it's, she she's just bat crap crazy. Have you yes. ever yeah, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Gru, who's producing the show, you, you know, you're a little bit younger than us. Can you think of any situations like that of a friend or somebody? Sure, yeah, yeah, sure. It could have been you, huh? Yeah, it was probably you. All right, okay. So, because I'm raising my hand too, and again, you know, because we're guys, we're talking about the the, the male friends who. But it, it flips; it goes other way mm-hmm. too. Sure. I mean, yeah. I, I get all that. And, and so, in those situations, okay, so you meet the, the you meet your your friend is your friend or whatever is dating this, this gal, and you just know she's nuts. Yeah, and, and you know it's it, it's sooner or later it's going to just end up really badly. Um. But you, there's nothing you can do, right? I mean, you just you know, he just he's going down that route, you know, and and you know mm-hmm. sooner oh, yeah. or later, and then and then inevitably what happens is you get that call one day, and your that your friend is on the phone saying, Eric, you know, so and so is bat crap crazy, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> that has happened, but also they have gotten married before too. Well, so. <laughs> well, yeah, they get married and then they get the call. Yeah, well, you're yeah, right. Yeah. It, it, there's nothing. I guess that 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 that's my point. It's just that. You know, crazy is as crazy does, and you you see these things, and you know it's not going to work out, but there's not a whole lot you can do. You just kind of, like, watch that train head for the cliff, and you kind of avert your eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. This is Amoroso. I mean, see, this is before the break. You know, we, we played, and I did not play the entire interview with Savannah Guthrie this morning. It goes on for another six or seven minutes, and it gets even more bizarre because she keeps telling Savannah Guthrie that, well, she's got all the time you want, and then Savannah Guthrie starts pushing her about, have you ever used the N-word and stuff like that, at which point in time she cuts off the interview because she says she's got to go somewhere else. All right, so so this is this is Amoroso, who is clearly, again, if, if you've watched this character that she plays on TV, it starts to become apparent that that's not just the character that really is her. So President Trump hires this woman for the White House, right? What could go wrong with that? And, of course, it breaks really, really badly when she ends up getting fired, and so now she's got this book that she's plugging called Unhinged. All right, so you, you heard a portion of her interview, and she's been making the rounds on the different shows, talking about how awful the White House is. And uh, gee, I was locked in the Situation Room, and I recorded these things. But you kind of heard that. So President Trump finally responds today. This is what he says: Wacky Amorosa, who got fired three times on The Apprentice, now got fired for the last time. She never made it, never will. She begged me for a job, tears in her eyes. I said, okay. People in the White House hated her. She was vicious, but not smart. I would rarely see her, but heard really bad things. Nasty to people and would constantly miss meetings and work. When General Kelly came on board, he told me she was a loser and nothing but problems. I told him to try working it out if possible, because she only said great things about me until she got fired. While I know it's not presidential to take on a low life like Amarosa, and while I would rather not be doing so, this is a modern-day form of communication, and I know the fake news media will be working overtime to make even wacky Amoroso look legitimate as possible. Sorry. All right? that That's it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, there's no shortage of people who have had different dealings with President Trump and different relationships with him, and the whole thing has broken bad, and it's gone public with allegations of these type of things. Arguably, 
This is number one, most one of the most predictable breakdowns, and number two, one of the more explosive breakdowns. So let's open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How should we handle these allegations by Amarosa that President Trump is mentally unhinged, that he's this racist, that he lies, that she was, I don't know, essentially she was arrested against her will and held in the situation room. Is this just the rantings of an unhinged, disgruntled headline seeker, or is this somebody to be taken seriously or something else? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, let's see. Um, it's unlikely anyone of Donald Trump's age um, had not used the N-word. I know that is their lifetime. It's not acceptable, but we are evolving. Um, let's see. Rocky text. We have a bunch of kindergartners in the White House. Oh, my gosh. Um, Omarosa cannot be a real person. I'm not a Trump supporter, but I think she's crazy. Mitch writes, I guess we're lucky Gary Busey doesn't have a cabinet position. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Your reaction to this spat. Uh, President Trump says it, it's just she's wacky. She's lying. All these different types of things. Where do we come down? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 115. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 117, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's see. We don't need Omarosa to tell us that Trump is unhinged. The Donald only hires the best people, so giving her a White House job is on him. I, I, I will say this. Regardless of where you come down on this, if, if you have watched the career track of this woman, I remember when it first announced that he was bringing her into the White House, and I don't know if I said it on the air, but I know I said it to myself, this is not going to end well. 414-799-1620. Jim in Wauwatosa. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, hi, Jeff. <laughs> what do, what so do you think? My, here's my take. Uh, they both belong in the same camp. They're both uh, from the same mentality. They both uh, graduated from the same schools. They probably paid for, for their diplomas. Uh, <laughs> You know, they're both whack jobs. Now, Trump, a lot of people are giving Trump credit for the uh, economy. Are you kidding me? The guy just uh, falls into office because of a bunch of weird situations that took place. People before, and he's not running the country. You know, other people that know what the hell is going on, they're the ones that are pulling the plug on everything. Well, let's talk about the Omarosa thing. Uh, you, can, can you imagine any reason why you would hire somebody like this in the first place? Yeah, I, no, I can't, yeah, no, but, right. but uh, Donald Trump, could. Yeah, I, like I said, he's a little, well, he's that a little makes loose. A, well, yeah, no, okay. it is, no, no, I know, I, and I, I mean, this is, it is one of these things, it's, and it, it is a, we, look, I, I understand that there's some people who are total Trump haters, and there's some people who are like total Trump lovers, and I, I try to sort of like look at it from an issue-by-issue issue perspective. I will tell you this, though, there, I, I do think it, it is a reflection on the president that th- look at some of the people that he hangs around with. I mean, he, he's Michael Cohen, who is the fly by night kind of sleaze bag lawyer who now is under investigation for all sorts of things, you know, that he, he allegedly did. I don't know if it's going to lead to charges or not, but I, it's just you, you kind of look at this and I think, OK, well, well, why? Why would somebody like Donald Trump hang around with somebody like Michael Cohen if? 
You know what? You just wouldn't do that. You know, if you're a responsible business guy, Cohen is. You would stay as far away from somebody like Cohen as you possibly could. It doesn't reflect well on the president that he Cohen was part of his inner circle for a while. This is the same sort of thing that this Amorosa. And I guess I, I again, I, I only knew her from TV and from some of like the celebrity sort of things. But the, the question was, was she playing a character or was that really her? And if it really was her, which it appears to be, why in God's green earth would you bring that person into the White House? And can we now be surprised that you've got her, you know, just taping things and bringing uh, presumably cell phones into you know, the situation room? You know, when you bring a loose cannon into your office, you shouldn't be surprised that occasionally it's going to shoot and sink the ship. 414-799-1620. Tim in Fredonia. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Happy Monday, sir. Happy Monday, sir. What do you, you know, think? You know, I, nobody voted for Trump originally because he gave himself a morality car wash, okay? <laughs> we get all that, Jeff. We get that, okay? We so, so, so you're not surprised with the Stormy okay. Daniels one-night stand in 2006. That's not a surprise, Jeff. Yeah, maybe a billionaire who hasn't hooked up with a porn star, okay? We all knew that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that many billionaires. but <laughs> right, me neither, but... And the guy before you, he started going off on a tangent. He needs to take his Geritol. He needs to settle down a little bit. Here's the deal, Jeff. Like I said, we didn't hire we didn't hire him for a morality car wash. Amorosa is a few fries short of a value meal. We all know that. <laughs> so his biggest mistake was maybe feeling sorry for her and bringing a job, bringing her into the White House, Jeff. Okay, that was a dumb mistake. For number right. one, but to sit there and rip on General Kelly like she did, he's a pretty honor. I shouldn't say pretty. He's a pretty very honorable guy, Jeff. You don't get to his position. Of being mm-hmm. chief of staff and in the military rank that he held by being a turd. You well, know? you know, Tim, I, I mean, I, I'm pre- I have no doubt what happened. See, here, here's what I think happened. Okay. Donald, the president, surrounds himself with a, a bunch of Simcofats, you know, the, the Simcofats, the, the people who are, oh, you're great, you're great, Mr. President, you're great, Mr. President. He brings a bunch of those people in, like Omarosa, and they're not capable of doing the job. You get General Kelly that comes in, and he's looking at, I, I think, some of the people that have been brought in, and he decides, no, we're, we're cleaning house. You know, we're, we're getting rid of some of these people, and she was probably one of the first to go. That's my guess as to what happened. Uh, and, and I totally understand that. Like I said, he was a He's not a politician. He didn't surround himself with the best of people, uh, you know, utmost the, re- the revolving door, Jeff, in the first mm-hmm. 18 months of his administration or whatever, first year. So I think things have settled down a little bit. You know, there hasn't been that many, that much movement really since then, if you look in the last six months or so. So I think, you know what, he's got two and a half years to go. Give the guy a shot. Like I said, nobody voted for Donald Trump for his moral character. We all knew that going in. But I will give him credit for this economy moving forward. Thanks, Jeff. Good enough. Thanks to call, Tim. I, I, I will tell you this. Um, I, I do. I am of the opinion, whether you are a lover of President Trump or a hater of President Trump, that running out tomorrow morning to buy this book by this woman, that's God's way of telling you that you've got too much money. Uh, Isabel in Glendale. Isabel, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Oh, Jeff, it's wonderful to, to talk to you. Thank you <laughs> thank, for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree with you 100%. You know, this is just an entertainment book. She's just out to make a couple bucks and, and, and you know, pick up whatever she can as she's going along. But, you know, one thing that, that Tim uh, just brought up that I thought was very interesting, your previous caller, you know, when Trump, I'm, an, I'm a never-Trumper person anyway, but it doesn't matter. He's in the office now. We have to respect the office. We have to give that dignity to that office. However, I would have expected him to have a little bit, um, you know, more get up and go 
and and be a little more polished um, in, in representing our country. I'm, I'm very disappointed with that. But if you're going to go out and buy a book, go buy The Dangerous Case of Trump. That's a great book. I mean, that's written by a bunch of psychologists that really have some, some smart right. system. Uh, right. some or or Bob, Wood, Bob Woodward's got a book, you know, the guy who wrote All the President's Men and stuff. Bob Woodward's got a book coming out in about two or three weeks. I forget what it's called. I, I pre-ordered that. You know, that right, right. No. Okay. So you're, you're not going to be lined up at, you're not going to be on Amazon ordering Unhinged. Uh, no. Never will. It's just too. It's just par for the course for the for the, the entertainment show that it is anyway. It, it is. No, th- thanks. I mean, again, it's just th- that to me is the biggest takeaway of, of this whole thing. I mean, I don't really know where the the truth lies here, but there. You, if you do want to talk about people that maybe deserved each other, I mean, it is the fact that President Trump decided to to bring this woman into the White House having had an opportunity to work with her on these different TV. I mean, keep in mind, this was the villain. That, that's it. If you didn't watch these shows, she was the villain. She was the one that was backstabbing and nasty that everyone hated. Why would you bring that person in? And I think the reason was because she was sucking up to, oh, you're great, this is tremendous, etc. So you bring her in, and then I'm sure what happened here is that you get John Kelly, General Kelly comes in, he's looking at the mess that is the White House as far as the White House staff, and he starts cleaning house. He starts getting rid of the people who aren't doing their jobs or aren't showing up at meetings or, you know, can't get along with everybody else. And to the surprise of no one, Omarosa gets tied up in this. And then to the surprise of no one, once they make the decision to canter, she ends up breaking bad on this whole thing. It was just entirely predictable. Here's my favorite text in this segment. Aaron and Oconomowoc. Jeff, love him or hate him. You got to love the fact that as long as President Trump is president, you will never run out of material, to which the congregation says, Amen. 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Stick around. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Join our crew in supporting the crew on Saturday, August 25th at the Brewers Community Foundation, hitting for the cycle event. Together we'll conquer a beginner's bike ride that starts and ends at Miller Park followed by a tailgate party and matchup between the Brewers and the Pirates. Hitting for the cycle benefits Dream Bikes, the Urban Ecology Center, and UW-Milwaukee's Life Impact Program. For more information or to sign up, text the word CARES, C-A-R-E-S, to 414-799-1620. WTMJ CARES is presented by First Bank Financial Center. You know, talking about you know people who kind of get what they deserve, whether it's President Trump deciding to associate with this Omarosa or whatever. Somebody else who got what he deserved today is this this FBI agent, Peter Strzok. I have a number of friends who are either in the FBI now or retired FBI agents. And I think to a person, when, when we've discussed this, every one of them has been embarrassed by the, this Peter Strzok. He's the guy who's having the affair with the lawyer for the FBI, and as part of their pillow talk, which consists of sending all these email messages back and forth, you know, they're, they're talking about how they hate Trump and how you know they want Hillary to win and all this different type of stuff, stuff that is just extremely, extremely unprofessional. And again, like I say, whether it's a retired FBI agent or current FBI agent, everybody I know in the Bureau, and I, have, I really do have the greatest respect for, for the Bureau. These are top-notch men and women. But every once in a while, you get a loser. And this Peter Strzok guy is a loser. And then you just see the arrogance behind all this stuff. Um, he was, in fact, fired today. Apparently, they had walked him out before. He was supposed to be disciplined. Now, you know, he has been fired. It is completely and totally uh, appropriate. And whatever the merits of 
the Russia investigation. And wherever it leads, you know, whether it leads to an impeachment charge, whether it leads to criminal charge or whatever, that, that doesn't matter. There are members of the FBI who embarrass themselves in connection with it. And like I say, I, I don't know if it's the Peter Strzok's just his pursuit of the, the woman he was having the affair with or whatever, you know, using the email accounts and things like that. But it was unprofessional and extreme, and the guy deserves to be gone. So he, he's gone as well, and he, he deserves it. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about the primary election that is tomorrow. I want to solicit your input on who you're going to vote for in a couple races. And yes, yes, Melissa, I'm going to go out on a limb. I am going to predict. I'm going to make my predictions as to who some of the winners and losers are going to be. So everybody wants to stick around for that. 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, Gru, who's producing the show today and always. You're a pro wrestling fan. Do you remember the Hart Foundation or was that before your time? Bret Hart, yes, and and Jim the Anvil Neidhart. You remember that? Okay, that was I mean, that was that was at the sort of the heyday of when it was the WWF before it became the WWE. Um, Bret the Hitman Hart, arguably one of the best wrestlers of all time, and his tag team partner was his brother-in-law, Jim the Anvil Neidhart. I bring this up because uh, Jim the Anvil Neidhart passed away today, age of sixty-three. Um, it's it's just always amazing to me, and it, it shows how tough a business wrestling is because like i say there's old people and there's wrestlers but there's not a lot of old wrestlers and it's just i mean if you go back and and for those of us who were fans of pro wrestling you know in the in the 80s the heyday of the wwf and stuff and and you look back at the these wrestlers that you know we grew up with or maybe even before him the old awa in the 70s around here you you look back and you see how many of them aren't with us nowadays it it's staggering and i think it's you know, some of it's just all the travel and some of it's the lifestyle. But uh, Jim Neidhart, who uh, passed away at the age of 63, and just looking at a number of the other guys that came out of Canada like he did, and um, you had Dynamite Kid and Davy Boy Smith, they're, they're both passed away. It's just, it's staggering the list of wrestlers who are no longer no longer around. So they're not listing the cause of death. But uh, Jim Neidhart, if you were a fan of, uh, like I say, the WWF before it was the WWE, you will remember that. All right. Tomorrow, at long last, is the primary election. Voters across the state will have the choice in a number of races. Let's review the bidding quickly. If you vote, Wisconsin has an open primary. You can vote in either the Democratic primary or the Republican primary, but you can't vote in both. So if you want to vote in the Senate race to decide who's going to run against Tammy Baldwin, Kevin Nicholson, or Leah Vukmir, you get the Republican ballot. But that means you can't vote for the governors. You can't vote in the Democratic primary for governor and vice versa. If you live in Milwaukee County and you want to vote for the sheriffs, there's a sheriff three-way sheriff's race. If you want to vote in that, that's in the Democratic primary. That means then you're not going to be able to vote in the Vukmir-Nicholson thing. So you have to decide beforehand. There has been a ton of money spent, over $30 million in the Republican senatorial primary, less so in the Democratic gubernatorial race. Matter of fact, I occasionally you see a TV ad, but, but none of the candidates have really had very much money. There's an eight-way Democratic primary to see who is going to challenge Scott Walker. Um, I, I believe, I mean, it's possible that somebody's going to win that with 25 to 30 percent of the vote in the Republican senatorial primary. I mean, it's Nicholson and Vukmir. All right. I want to devote one, maybe two segments. 
I'm just going to open up the phone lines. We can talk about any race you want to talk about. We can talk about the Milwaukee County Sheriff's race. We can talk about the Republican race, uh, again, for the U.S. Senate. We can talk about congressional races that are out there. We can talk about the Democratic race for governor. I will make predictions in a little bit, but I am curious as to what you think, who you're voting for, and why. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Julie in Brookfield. Julie, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling. Okay, what race do you want to talk about? I want to talk about the U.S. Congress race in District 5 with Dr. Vipon and Sensenbrenner. Okay. I really like Dr. Vipon's energy and her connection with District 5, and uh, that's the fact that she wants to work on health care costs, not just insurance. Um, I feel that that's very important. I've seen her everywhere, uh, and Sensenbrenner seems to be MIA right now. So will, it hurt your feelings if I, will it hurt your feelings if I tell you that I think she's got absolutely no chance? It would. Okay. It would, because I really feel that she's a great person to be in there. And she, uh, I think this, this office is way too important to have somebody that is just there because he's been there forever. Mm-hmm. It, it's too important, and we deserve somebody that's got the energy to, to work on some of these health care costs. And, uh, do you know her? I'm just curious. You know, do you know her personally? I do. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good enough. Okay. Thanks for calling. And, and that's where it is. I, um, right. Jim Sensenbrenner has a primary opponent. Um, you haven't kind of heard a lot about the race. There's some people that, you know, like think that she's not actually think that she's not really just a, a, a rhino, but that she's actually kind of a Democrat. I admit I have not paid a lot of attention to the race because I don't get a sense that. I don't get a sense that Jim Sensenbrenner is any in any sort of real danger um, this time. I mean, he, he's been he's been there forever. I haven't gotten a sense that there's just great uh, a great number of people who are unhappy with the job that Sensenbrenner's doing. It's probably one of the most Republican districts in the country. But again, it's you know sur- you, surprises do in fact happen. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Jackie in Heartland. Jackie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, thank you for calling, having me. Yes, ma'am. What do you think? I am voting for Dr. Vipon. She was my my children's pediatrician for a long, long time, and I think somebody has to get in there and work on the health care, and who better to do that than a, a pediatrician? Do you think, let me ask you the same question the last I asked last week, do you think she has any realistic chance of winning? Yes, I do. I helped um, campaign for her, and I was hearing a lot of, uh, well, a lot of people that think Sensenbrenner has gone way beyond his overstayed his over been there too long, been there too long. Right. Okay. All right. Thanks, Nicole. Well, it'll, it'll be interesting to see. Again, I'm I'm not. I, I the race really hasn't been on my radar screen because I, I just it's really really difficult to beat someone in a Republican primary, especially when you are running on to the left of them. I mean, it's happened. I mean, look, it, it, it's happened before. I mean, Glenn, Glenn Grothman came to prominence, you know, when, you know, when, when he ran against Mary Panzer and he kind of ran to any kind of ran to the right. So it, it does, it does happen. People can lose in Republican primaries, but typically it's when you have a Republican who's been controversial. 
and, and I don't get the sense. I mean, Jim Sensenbrenner represents one of the most, like I say, conservative Republican districts in the country. I don't get the sense that there's great dissatisfaction with him. But, you know, who knows? First two callers out of the box support his challenger. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mel on the north side. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, thank you for taking my call. Sure. What do you think? Uh, I'm African-American. I think this vote, because you one side or the other, that the African-American vote is going to be important, in particular for El- Ernel Lucas. Um, he didn't campaign as strongly as I would have liked to have seen, in particular in the African-American community, but we often will vote for our own. I also see some positive with Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, mm-hmm. who I think is going to also get the benefit of that vote as well. Mm-hmm. I do want to give Bastini, uh, his, his boy, uh, Schultz, is it? The, the sheriff, it, it, Richard Schmidt, the sheriff. Schmidt, I'm yeah. sorry. Right. He really did come out in the African-American. And if he wins, it's, it's going to be because he really worked. I saw him in more than one event where, where African-Americans were. So if he wins, it's because he did get out there and work. Ernell, I think, is going to be lucky uh, because he's going to get that vote. Um, but he, he just, I didn't see him out as much. But he, he does have a good television commercial that's gone out as well. As well, now, now, let me ask you this: as long as we're, we're talking, as long as we're talking about the African American vote, um, one of the eight Democrats who's running for governor is Malin Mitchell, the the firefighters union guy who happens to be African American. Do you think that's going to help him break through? I, I think it is. My my thing is this: Tony uh, Evers, the other yeah Evers. I just think he's going to get a good um, Madison vote. I, uh, Malin, I think, will be second if he does not win. And okay. he will be getting my vote as well tomorrow. I know other African Americans who are going to support him as well. Thanks for call. I appreciate it. I will be curious. Now, now, keep in mind, one of the reasons we talk about primary elections is that because they, they tend to have a very low turnout. I mean, that the all right, this is this is a primary election. There's not a there's not a presidential. So you don't have a presidential election here. It, it's a primary. It's in the middle of August, um, and so they tend to be low turnout in general. I will be curious to see you know what the minority vote is. Is, is there going to be a huge turnout? Is there something on the ballot that's going to motivate people, for example, who might be casual voters to turn out and vote? One of the reasons Hillary Clinton lost Wisconsin is the fact that. She didn't campaign here, and she was not as good at turning out voters in general, and particularly as good as turning out African American voters as Barack Obama was. I mean, people, and I, I mean, I understand it. I mean, especially the first time he ran, but also the second time around, you, he had minority voters who were willing to run through brick walls to vote for him. There wasn't that same enthusiasm in the minority community for, um, Hillary Clinton, and so people stayed home. It will be interesting to see whether whether there's issues or whether there's candidates in a low turnout race that are going to motivate people to to show up and vote tomorrow. Now, I'm a little bit skeptical, but I always at the same time I hope people, you know, turn out to vote. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, I'm voting for Richard Schmidt because I think he has demonstrated that he does a good job 
and I really like his attention to the driving, and I hope he'll do more. So you're going to pass on voting in the Republican primary to vote in the Democratic primary for sheriff? Sadly, yes. Um, If I was not a resident of of Milwaukee County, I would probably decide otherwise. And I used to think that one of them dramatically had a better chance at beating Baldwin, but I no longer feel that way. Um, Are you going to also be voting in the Democratic primary for governor then? Well, I I probably will. Um, But I need to give some more. Okay, all right. Okay, no, fair fair enough. Okay, thanks, Nicole. I mean, I I do bring that out just so people understand. Again, let's say... Look, this is something that happened that benefited David Clark. It's it's actually one of the reasons I think Clark was able to win a number of times is because in Milwaukee County, oftentimes there was nothing. If you didn't have a big contested statewide Republican primary, there was nothing going on on the Republican side of the ballot. So you had Republicans who ended up voting in the Democratic primary, and they voted for, for David Clark. Now, in this particular case, um, I, I don't know that you have any candidate that's running for sheriff in Milwaukee County that really inspires the, the Republican voters enough to make them pass voting in the Nicholson-Vukmir primary. But again, if, if you're one of those people, like our last caller, Jeff, just remember, you can do whichever you want, but you can't go back and forth. 414-799-1620. All right, any race at all that you want to talk about, we'll discuss. And I'm, gonna, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to give you my predictions. I will explain why. All right, back with more in just a minute. It's 148. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 151, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's talk to Dennis and Racine. Hi, Dennis. Uh, hello, yes. I just want to thanks for having me on your sure. show. It's, it's bringing me to the polls tomorrow. I was going to stay home tomorrow. You know, Kevin Nicholson and, and, and uh, uh, George Vidia and Vukmir. I want to vote for Vukmir, but that's not bringing me out tomorrow. It's bringing me out tomorrow. I'm tired of that Ryan Bryce guy in the commercial with the hard hat all the right, time. Right, the Iron Stash Democrat. Yeah. Yes, right. I want to make sure that, that Kevin Styles. That's what's bringing me out tomorrow. Brian Styles. Brian Styles. Yeah, right. that Styles uh, in that third district. So that's why I'm voting tomorrow. Yeah, th- thanks. I mean, there, there's five. Th- this is the first congressional district. It's the race to see which Republican is going to replace Paul Ryan. There, there's five candidates running. One is. A guy named Ryan. This is Jeremy Ryan. He's the Segway boy. He's the, the the kooky lefty who was part of like the Capitol protests. Who's hoping I think people confuse him with Paul Ryan. Not going to work. There's another guy running who um, has a controversial and somewhat troubling past. I think Republicans are running far away from him. Brian Style is by far and away the best candidate. He's he's just he's an outstanding guy. I had a chance to have dinner with him. Oh. Uh, about a month and a half ago, he is clearly, in my opinion, the candidate best suited to keep that seat in the Republican column. And, and my guess is he's going to do it. OK, uh, we've got a number of people who want to weigh in, but I let me I, I want to do some different stuff in the next hour of the program. I'm going to give you some predictions. And again, some people won't do this because they're they're afraid they might be wrong. <laughs> I don't have that problem. I mean, it, that's, I'm just giving you what I think and and quickly why. This is, by the way, not necessarily who I am going to vote for, but it's just kind of my predictions. I think the race between uh, Leah Vukmir and Kevin Nicholson is going to be close. As I have said, I like both of them. I like both of them. I think um, there's on the issues, there's really not a whit of difference between the two of them. I think Leah Vukmir is going to pull this out, and I, I will tell you why. I, I think she is somebody who is just such a known commodity, um, and I, I think that you know she's she's been doing the work 
She's got a ton of grassroots support. And this isn't a knock on Kevin Nicholson. I think at the end of the day, the Republican voters come home. I, I will tell you this. I have been troubled by all the out-of-state special interest group money, the millions and millions of dollars which is poured into the state and which has largely been used to run negative ads in that Senate race. I mean, Leah Vukmir and Kevin Nicholson, in my opinion, are both solid conservatives. And having all these millions of dollars run by groups, especially attacking Leah Vukmir, I would have liked to have seen Kevin Nicholson denounce those groups, distance himself from it instead of trying to embrace it. You know, this, this happened six years ago when you had some of this out-of-state money that decided they were going to run attack ads in a Republican primary, and then when their chosen candidate lost, then they ended up bailing. I hope that that does not happen again. I, You know, it, I think it's going to be close. My money would be on Vukmir if you were just asking me to make a bet in Las Vegas. All right, the Democratic primary. Eight candidates running. Tony Evers appears to be way ahead in the polls. There's people saying, oh, this is going to, it could be a big surprise. Some people are saying maybe it could be Malin Mitchell. Some people are going to say it's Kelder Roy's. Um, I, I actually think this Marist College poll that came out a couple of weeks ago that said that, and I don't believe this poll, by the way, but said that if the election were held, whenever the poll was done, Tony Evers would beat Scott Walker by 10 points. I think that kind of made the Democratic primary a, a self-fulfilling prophecy. My prediction is Tony Evers wins. I, I think if I had to pick order, I would say it would be Malin Mitchell second, and then pretty much everybody else, you know, after after that. Um don't be surprised if, if somebody wins with like around 30% of the vote. So those would be my predictions. Milwaukee County Sheriff, this is going to be another tight one. I, I actually, I look, I don't live in Milwaukee County anymore, and so I'm not voting in that race. I think Richard Schmidt has done a great job, but the, the problem he has is the, with the exception of Chris Abley, the Democratic establishment in the city of Milwaukee has rallied around his opponent, Ernell Lucas, and I, if I had to predict, I, I predict Lucas wins. It's not who I would vote for if I were voting in that particular race, but I predict Ernell Lucas is going to win there. Maybe we'll get some, some other predictions as well, but those are my three big ones. It's just predictions. And again, it's not necessarily who I'd vote for. I think Evers comes out of the Democratic part primary. I think Vukmir comes out of the Republican primary. And I think Ernell Lucas comes out of the sheriff primary. Um, those I think are the most contested ones. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner. When we come back, an interesting story about a hundred dollars at a gambling casino. I want to share it with you and get your reaction. Stick around. 156. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 207. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Melissa, hang around for just a minute. I want to, I've got a fact scenario I want to run by you. Start off this next conversation. But before we do that, I, I just, one final thought on the primaries, because I'm getting a number of emails. And I, I want to try to address why something occurs like it is. A, a number of emails are saying, why shouldn't we be able to cross over? Why shouldn't we be able to vote in the Vukmir-Nicholson primary and then vote in the Democratic gubernatorial primary and then vote for the Milwaukee County Sheriff? We live in Milwaukee County. Why should we have to choose Republican or Democrat? Let me let, let me try to explain this as, as best I can. Keep in mind, this is not a choice as to who is ultimately going to hold the job. This is a choice as to who is going to be a party's nominee. In many states... You have to register as either a Republican or a Democrat. 
and then you automatically get either the Democrat or the Republican ballot. In Wisconsin, it is an open primary, meaning you don't have to register, but you can still only vote in, in one primary, either the Republican or the Democrat. It used to be that, that candidates, nominees for who was going to run as a Republican and who was going to run as a Democrat, it used to be that those were elected by voters. You, you'd have the smoke-filled rooms, you'd have the party bosses, or maybe it was a party convention, and they'd say, okay, you're the guy that's going to, or the gal, that's going to run for Congress. I mean, it, it used to be that the parties would anoint the person. In Wisconsin, um, early 20th century, I think it goes back to like, um, I think it goes back to like 1905. They, they they changed the law to allow the voters instead of the party bosses to decide. But still, it was for a particular party. Um, Democrats are not supposed to choose who the Republican candidate is going to be, and, and that would really that would really open it up to all sorts of uh, potential voter manipulation. I mean, let's say there was. Uh, let's say that you figure, okay, well, Scott Walker is going to be the, the nominee. And so here we have all these Republicans who have no intention of voting for anybody other than Scott Walker in November. We're going to vote in the Democratic primary because we want to identify which of the eight candidates we think would be weakest and we want to run for them. So this is a way, uh, again, the, the primaries aren't designed to decide who's going to win the race. Now, uh, sometimes that happens if there's nobody on the other side, but they're designed to select a candidate of a particular party, and that's why you, you can only you can identify as a Republican or you can identify as a Democrat for the purpose of voting, but you can't identify as both in a primary. And that's the best explanation I could have of it, but that's the bottom line. Like they were saying, you got to stay in one lane. You can choose which lane you want to be in, but if you're voting in the Democratic primary for governor, you can't vote in the Republican primary. You will have a chance to vote for whoever you want once you ultimately make the decision you vote in November. So that's just kind of the way it works. All right, let me switch gears. Melissa, I'm going to use you as my test lab for this this, this discussion. <laughs> okay. All right, you are staying at a hotel, okay? Okay. You're at a hotel. Mm-hmm. You've had dinner. You're walking to the elevator. Your, your room, you got a room on the third floor. You're walking to the elevator. It's like 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night. You go to the elevator. You get ready to push the button to take the elevator up. You look down on the ground. There's a $100 bill. Mm-hmm. Okay? There's a $100 bill. You look around to see if there's anybody that dropped it. No, nope, nobody that's dropped it. It's, it's $100 bills on the ground. All right, you look around. There, there's no identification with it. It's not like it's a wallet. It's just a $100 bill. All right, Melissa Barkley, what do you do? Well, if there's no wallet around there. It's just a $100 bill on the ground by the elevator. What do you do? Mm. That's a tough one. A part of me, I mean, <laughs> oh, wait, I guess okay. I would. I Our would... producer, Drew, is going, wait, <laughs> I read his lip. Come well, okay, on. There's two things I could do. Right? I, I'm not asking you what you could. There's a million things you could do. I'm I asking probably, you, what if, would you if do? If I would look around and no one was there. That's my scenario. And there's no wallet. There's no, no wallet. Well, then I guess I have $100. Okay, you're, you're picking it up. 
Oh, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, you're picking it I'm up. I'm picking it up. Okay, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I know for it doing feels that. bad because I mean I could go to the front desk at the hotel and say, "Did anyone lose a hundred dollars?" But of course, who's gonna? You know, someone might say, "I lost a hundred dollars." Well, we're, that's going to be okay. my story. But you're you're not getting to that point. You're putting the hundred dollar bill in your pocket. I would look around and make sure. I, no, <laughs> if you're throwing in all these modifiers. <laughs> oh, 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 I don't want the modifier. I, I would. I would. Yes. Okay. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> now my producer. Bad now. I'm no, no. <laughs> my producer grew. He didn't hesitate a minute. He's like, "Come on, I'm sticking that in my in my." Okay, yeah, it's your money. It's your right. money. Yeah. It would be different if it was five dollars. It's a hundred dollars. That's why a lot would of money. why would it be different? Well, if it was five dollars. Just five dollars. Oh, oh, five dollars. You're putting in your pocket I'll too. Put in my pocket but you're right also away. putting a hundred dollar bill in I your pocket. Five dollars well. and the hundred. Yes. Okay. All right. I, you're you're not a bad okay. person for doing that. I just want to set that scenario. Okay. Melissa's pocketing the dough. My <laughs> producer grew is pocketing the dough. All right. Let me tell you this story. Here, here is, here is the deal. It happens early February at the Ho Chunk Casino, you know, outside of, in the in the Dells. Okay, mm-hmm, yeah, I've been so there. So here, here is the story. Here's what happens. There's a, there's a guy. He and his wife, they are staying at the Ho Chunk Hotel and Casino in Baraboo. Um, it's in the morning, not at night. They are going to their room after breakfast. So what happens is. They get to the elevator. Same scenario I just outlined for Melissa. They look down. There's a $100 bill outside the elevator, right? They pick up the, they pick up the $100 bill. They don't just leave it there. No identification, no nothing. All right. Here is where it gets interesting. Unlike Melissa or my producer, Gru, who's sticking that money in his pocket, the guy takes the money to the front desk. And he says, I found a $100 bill by the elevator. Somebody at the front desk tells him, okay, well, thanks. If nobody claims it, it's yours. You can have it. All right, it gets interesting. Little more than an hour later, he gets a call from Ho-Chunk Security saying no one had claimed the money. And we had looked at the surveillance video. Now, this is a hotel, it's a casino, so they got surveillance all over. We, we looked at the surveillance video to try to decide, you know, can we see who dropped the money? And we can't. So they tell him, it's yours. All right? Well, okay, this is where it gets interesting. The guy apparently had checked out of the hotel. He had left. Now, if this were me, I would not have left the hotel. But but he he had left. All right? So he had left. So he says, I, I was already home, but he said, that that's fine. I'll come back and I'll pick it up. So he goes back to the hotel to pick it up. At this time, they say, well, we can't give it to you right now. You're going to have to wait 60 days to claim it. But somebody will call you after 60 days. All right. So then 60 days pass. And he says, okay, where's my money? And they say, well, no, um, you know, we, we've decided we're not giving you the money. Um, we've our policy. The security official that told you the money was yours it was wrong, and our policy is that nobody gets to keep lost items if their rightful owners don't claim them. So, in other words, the people that told you the money was yours, they were wrong, and nobody claimed this. So, we, we being the casino slash hotel, we're keeping it. Uh, the guy that runs the vice president says, nope, that's our policy. We do our best to give lost items to the people who actually lost them. There's people that lose a lot of things here. If owners of lost money can't be found, we donate it to Goodwill or the St. Vincent de Paul charity. So despite the fact that we told you the money was yours, 
you can't have it. We're keeping it. What okay. a headache. What a headache. He right. was trying to be honest, which I understand. And he would have been better off just pocketing that hundred bucks. He would have right? been better off pulling a Gru and a Melissa <laughs> and just sticking the money in his pocket money. in the first place. Yeah, we looked around. Nobody's there. There you go. Okay. That's the issue. I'm going to open up the phone lines. Okay. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the guy have gotten the dough? I mean, should, now the hotel originally said, yeah, you can have it if nobody claims it. And then they, they changed. They said, no, whoever told you that was wrong. And, you know, we don't give found items to the people that found them. In this case, it's cash, so we're going to donate it to charity. Does that seem like it's right to you? Should the guy have been entitled to the $100? And does this policy then encourage people not to turn in money? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a minute. All right, did Ho-Chunk handle this the appropriate way, or should they have just given the guy the money in the first place? And if this was you, would you have done, would you have even turned it in, or would you have kept it? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And for what it's worth, even though I'm teasing my colleague Melissa and my producer grew, if if that had been me, that $100 is going into my pocket as well. I, I would have I kept it. To avoid this whole scenario. Okay, 414-799-1620. Does it sound like the casino is being fair? Are they handling this the right way? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. 217, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 220, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, if you're just tuning in, here, here's the story. Early February, a guy is at the, the Ho-Chunk Casino and Hotel in Baraboo. He, he finds a $100 bill by the elevator. So instead of putting it in his pocket, which candidly I would have done, <laughs> if it makes me a bad person, all right, I'm a bad person, he takes it to the front desk and he says, hey, I found this money. They tell him, okay, well, if nobody claims it, the money is yours. Long story short, nobody claims it. So when he goes to get it, they say, well, we've changed our policy. Wait, that, that's not our policy. We were wrong. Whoever told you that was wrong, we're keeping it. We don't return found items to the people that found them, which strikes me as being a bad policy, because what it does, it encourages people then not to turn in lost items. 414-799-1620. I think the majority of people, again, it's not a wallet. You haven't seen who dropped it. It's just the money that's there. I think the majority of people would have put it in their pocket, and I think this policy, frankly, encourages people to do that. All right, let's start with Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? I, I would have kept it. I mean, I found I found 240 one time in a stall. In a bathroom stall, okay. Yeah, in a, in a restaurant. It's kind of like, you think really? Honestly, there was a wallet. It was just a money clip or whatever. Right. It's like, seriously, bring it to the bar. You really think somebody's going to really make a, you know, a hard attempt to try and find a wallet? I mean, it's like, no. I looked around to see if anybody was, you know, asking questions or whatever. Right. It's not like I bolted, but right. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> no way, because you know where it's going otherwise. Right. You you are you are skeptical that if you like turned it into say a bartender or someone you're skeptical that that money would have actually you know gone I to a lost and found. I'm not even skeptical. <laughs> it's, it's pretty much a sure bet. Okay, what if it? I'm just curious. What if it was like an item of jewelry? Something. It's not cash. Let's say it's a it's a wedding a band or a watch yeah, or something. That would be a little bit different because that you know sentimental value. Right. It's not you know I mean so I mean there 
yeah, I'd make some earnest, you know, earnest attempt, you know, turn it into the bar and say, hey, if somebody lost, you know, right. on a wedding ring laying on there, you know, that's, that's a whole different animal. But, right. No, I, I agree with you. No, thanks. I mean, I, I agree with you. If I found a, if I found a watch or, I mean, unclaimed cash just sitting there, maybe it's, it's tough to make the distinction, but to me, there is a distinction. Unclaimed cash sitting there and, and there's a certain dollar amount and I don't know what that dollar amount is. Now, obviously, if you find a, a paper bag with three or four thousand dollars in it, I'm not keeping that and I don't know where that line is, but a hundred dollar bill at a casino or something, nobody around. Yeah, that's probably going into my pocket. Jewelry or something else is different. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mike on the northwest side. Hi, Mike. Hey, uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, the 100 bucks would go in my pocket. If the hotel wants to give that money to charity, then if a hotel employee finds it, they can have them turn it in. But the guy should have got the money right away uh, after an hour or whatever. Right. And uh, as for the jewelry thing, uh, that's true. You know, it could be a sentimental value. I wouldn't want any part of that. Right. But the 100 bucks is going in my pocket. I can put it on a blackjack table or I can give it to St. Paul. It's my decision. Yeah, I see. I, I mean, thanks. For, I mean, I, I agree. I think, see, and that's where I think the hotel is wrong. I, I think you want to encourage people to turn in items that, that they found. I mean, I think that that's, that's a good thing. Now, again, I, I don't think most people would do what this guy did. I think most people would, would pocket it. But you, you want to encourage people to turn in the found items. But I, I think that once you turn that in, that doesn't automatically mean that you've surrendered your right to it. I mean, I think what the guy told told him the first time is, hey, if nobody claims it, you can have it. I think that is the much better policy because the person who found that item you know, he's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to say, hey, you know, maybe there's some elderly person that's dropped this. If somebody comes in and they claim it, that that's one thing. I want it to go to the rightful owner. But just because I found it on your premises doesn't mean that I'm giving you the authority to decide to do what you want with it. That's that's where I, I have the issue. I mean, I, I, I give the guy credit for turning it in. But once the rightful owner couldn't be found... I don't think the hotel magically gets the right to decide what to do with it. In my mind, it belongs to the person that found it if he's willing to say, hey, I'm going to give it to the ultimate rightful owner. But just because you turned it into the hotel, it doesn't make the hotel the rightful owner. That's the policy I have. 414-799-1620. Gene in Milwaukee. Gene, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Gene. I think I'm thinking... What is the charity? The front desk? The people who work at the front desk? Um, <laughs> well, that, well, I mean, now again, I don't mean, <laughs> thanks for call, Gene. I mean, I don't mean to be cynical. I mean, they, they say, okay, we're, we're going to donate that. That, that's all well and good, but it's not the hotel's money anymore. I mean, arguably the person that found it has a superior claim, in my opinion, to the hotel. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly not the hotel's. It's the guy. Now, obviously, if you've got a hotel employee that finds it, that's a whole different thing. If you find it while you're, you know, you're working there, well, then I would expect that you have an obligation to turn it in. Just like, you know, if you're cleaning a room and somebody leaves something behind, you have an obligation to turn it in. But this isn't a hotel employee. I think, you know, at least in my way of thinking, the person that found it has as strong and, quite frankly, probably a stronger claim to the, the possession of that money or the ownership of the money than the hotel does. I don't think it was the hotel's decision to give that to decide what's going to happen to that money if the rightful owner doesn't come forward. Ben in Milwaukee. Ben, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Ben. What do you think? So I would sort of uh, get myself out of the ethical question altogether and do nothing. 
Don't turn it in. Don't pick it up. Just keep walking. Huh. Well, I, I guess my response, Ben, would be, I, I hope if there's a $100 bill lying on the ground, I'm following you to that elevator because I'm picking it up. <laughs> so you just don't even want to deal with this. So you're just going to you're just gonna let it go, huh? Yeah, so just pass it on to the next person. And then in terms of the, the policy, the hotel, I think, made the right decision because even though the policy was given to the person who found the $100 wrongly to begin with, um, policy is policy, right? So you. Well, but I guess my question is, does it belong to the hotel? Why, why, why does it belong to the hotel? I mean, it's not their money. It's just somebody dropped it on their premises. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily it just like belong. I wouldn't say it necessarily belongs to the hotel after that, but you know, who else does it go to? Well, I, I mean, that's I'd say, I, I mean, no, thanks to call. I mean, I'd say it goes to the person that found it. I mean, that, that's, I mean, I, I, I mean, I think if if you're if the goal here is to encourage people to turn in items, which I, I think is a noble goal. And I mean, I give the guy credit for good Samaritan points. He probably did what a lot of people wouldn't do. I mean, I, I think if that's the policy that you want to have, well, then you, you you say, okay, well, if nobody found this, you know, you yeah, you you can have it. It's it's an item of value. You can end up having it. I mean, it's I don't get why it the hotel can have whatever policy it wants, but it's not the hotel's money. It's just the hotel can have that policy with regard to employees. You find something, you turn it in. But for everybody else, it's not their money. I mean, I I would argue that the guy that found it has a stronger claim to ownership, being the person in possession of it who found it, than the hotel does. In any event, um, they didn't. He didn't end up getting the money, which does make you wonder moving forward. Is there an incentive to turn this in in the first place if you know that you're not going to get it back, and if the rightful owner doesn't come forward? Um, you're not going to have any say in it. Yeah, interesting dialogue. I Again, if I'm a bad person, this, this show is all about honesty. Being honest here, I'm with Melissa Barkley. I'm with my producer, Gruel. That money's going into the Jeff Wagner Retirement Fund. I admit it. 229, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Good to be back from the State Fair. Love, love being at the State Fair. Always nice to be back from the State Fair as well. Was Amon Green better than Tony Canadeo or Paul Horning? No. You can pick between them or one of 22 other legendary Packers running backs and vote on who is the best in the first week of our Green Bay 100 all-time team, all-time team vote. Text the number, quote, 100. So you have to text the number 100 to the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line at 414 414- Seven nine nine one six twenty. Okay, Gru, who's producing the show? Right, I read that. It says text the number, and then it spells out one hundred. But we want somebody to text actually the number one zero zero. Okay, so they're all right. So we want you to text the the number one hundred, even though they printed out for me to read. All right, they're just trying to confuse the host. I get it. Our promo writers are trying to confuse the poor host here. All right, text the number one zero zero. And you can participate in this. I want to, I want to double back on something. It's a follow up to a story we talked about. I think Friday, maybe Thursday, at, at the when we were broadcasting from the State Fair. And this is a story that I admit it makes my head explode because in today's day and age, we now have to apparently apologize for anything, including apologizing for catching thieves. It's maybe you've seen the TV show Bait Car. You know, there, there's these like these cop shows, and and I candidly think that, given the rash of car thefts in the city of Milwaukee, I would love 
to see either the sheriff's department or the police department undertake, you know, as an effort to try to catch the car thieves that are out there, you know, huge bait car operations. Leave a car unlocked. Find a couple models of cars that get stolen a lot. Leave a couple of them unlocked. Sit there with a video surveillance camera. When the thieves come up, when they steal them, then pull them over, arrest them. I would love to see that happen. Well, down in Chicago, they have had a huge problem with break-ins into truck trailers, storage containers, and freight cars that are stored in in a particular neighborhood in Chicago, the Englewood neighborhood, and and in particular, it's been on, on these like train grounds. So you know what would happen is you've got the the trains, you park the trains, you'd have the freight cars, and you'd have trailer trucks full of stuff that was to be loaded or unloaded into the freight cars, and there's not somebody that's there 24-7. And what happened is they've been having a number of break-ins. People come into the freight yard, and they steal stuff from the freight trucks. They steal stuff from the trailer trucks. They just steal stuff, all right? So what what the police department did, working in conjunction with the freight yard, is they said, here's what let's do. Let's set up. A bait truck, B-A-I-T, a bait truck. So what we'll do is we'll we'll take a trailer truck and we'll fill it with stuff. And then we'll seal it up. And then we'll sit back and we'll wait for people to come and steal it. That's what they do. And they, they videotape. And predictably, just like night follows day, you have a bunch of these losers that come in and they steal stuff. They break in. You know, they, they break in. They open the trailer and hey, it, it's like, you know, Christmas time in August and they're stealing the stuff. So then they catch them. Now, in a sane world, now we don't live in a sane world, but in a sane world, most decent people would applaud this, right? You'd say, hey, th- this, this is great. You know, we've caught these thieves. These are the same people that are going to be stealing cars. They'll be breaking into my house. We have caught these people who have come in. They're somewhere where they're not supposed to be. They're trespassing. They're opening up trucks. They're stealing things, right? You would think that. Well, this is 2018, though, and I guess it's Chicago, but I think this might be the reaction you got in Milwaukee. You have, for example, after the word of this gets out, you have the American Civil Liberties Union and a a bunch of the pro-criminal crowd, and you know who you are, who are denouncing this. Oh, this is terrible. This is entrapment. I mean, entrapment? Because they left a sealed truck full of stuff, um, it's entrapment. Because we should expect that you know anybody that comes across a truck is immediately going to break into it and try to steal it. So you had all these community groups that were complaining, "Oh, this is terrible! You're taking advantage of people in the community by leaving stuff that doesn't belong to them in trucks and giving them apparently the opportunity that they can come and steal it." This is how crazy we have gotten. So anyhow, we, we talked about this, and I, I think the general reaction was, uh, along with my line of thinking, that, that nobody had anything to apologize for. I mean, what you're doing is a public service by getting the criminals off the street. Well, here is the follow-up. Norfolk Southern, that's the railroad, apologizes. The Norfolk Southern Railway apologized on Friday for its bait truck operation in Chicago's Englewood neighborhood and said it wouldn't use the tactic again. Um, They acknowledged in response to an editorial in the Chicago Tribune by obviously 
I don't know, lefty editorial writers, that the undercover operation eroded trust between law enforcement and the community. We sincerely regret that our actions caused further unease, and we don't plan to use the method in the future, says the people, all because some people in the community complained. These are, of course, the same people who are defending people's right to steal other people's stuff. It is mind-boggling to me that now we have reached a point in America in 2018 where you, you, you can leave a truck full of stuff out and it's your fault when people come up and decide to steal that. And if you catch them in the act of stealing it, well, you then have to apologize. Where does this lead us? I mean, seriously, you know, if you now set up surveillance camera, let's say you live in one of those areas where you have the people that follow the UPS trucks around and steal stuff off the porches, the porch pirates. If you now put a surveillance camera out there, are, are you, are you going to be called to task by the American Civil Liberties Union? Are you doing something wrong because you've got these porch pirates? That's the, that's the problem. You're ordering those darn packages. And how dare you put a surveillance camera up there to catch the poor person who obviously is just, he can't help himself or she can't help herself. See that package on somebody's porch? Of course you're going to steal it. That's where we are coming to in this country nowadays. They apologize for using the bait truck package tactic. I mean, seriously, where do we draw the line? And I guess it's, again, now we're going to apologize for catching criminals. This railroad had nothing to apologize for, and I think it is nothing short of shameful that some of these pro-criminal groups out there were the ones that decided, here, we're going to challenge the people who actually caught the thieves. When did it become a bad idea to catch thieves? Just asking. All right, when we come back, soon gone, will it be forgotten? Stick around. 244 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 248 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Gru, you going to Zoo Alicard? I, 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 that's what I call it. So they've got this technical, and we're actually going to go. My wife and I, uh, think we're going to go on Thursday. We kind of had plans. We used to broadcast from there. It's always a lot of fun. All right. Here's the deal. We only have a couple minutes. Um, I, I titled this segment, Gone, uh, Soon Gone, But Will It Be Forgotten? Interesting piece in the Journal Sentinel. They just published this online. Um, Boston Store is coming to an end. Now we've talked about this before. I, as somebody who has lived here for almost all my life, Boston Store has been a huge institution. Um, Boston Store, of course, that the parent company is Bonton. It has gone corrupt. They are in the process of closing. Uh, they estimate right now that 77% of the merchandise has been sold. Uh, the store, they say the sales, as the Journal Sentinel, generated $1.9 billion so far. And the, the hope is, this is the hope by the company, that uh, the, these stores are all, if they're not closed already, some are, that they're, they're going to be completely closed down in the next 10, 12, 17 days. So, I mean, theoretically, by the end of the month, the Boston Store brand, which has been a legendary brand here for over 50 years, is going to be no more. Okay, we've only got a couple minutes before I have to turn it over to John and Melissa. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, this is the these this is literally it is the last days of Boston Store. They're going to be gone. Are you going to miss 
Boston store. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I mean, you, you just think, I mean, Boston store, I mean, I grew up in Glendale. So, I mean, there's been a Boston store at Bayshore since the 1960s. It's been one of the anchors of that shopping center. You've had Boston Store at Brookfield Square. You've had Boston Store at South Ridge. You've had Boston Store at Mayfair. It's been the cornerstone of, of Grand Avenue through all the iterations. Boston Store was big at Northridge when there was a Northridge. 414-799-1620. You're going to miss it. Are, are you going to miss it? Because it's going to be gone in the very near future. My answer to this is... Yeah, I'm I'm going to miss it. I'm going to miss it a lot. I understand the different pressures that are out there and I, I understand why big department store chains like Sears and Kmart and Boston Store and fill in the blank. I understand why they're they're struggling. But at the same part that they're a fabric of this community. And I mean, I just think back on all the different times where, I mean, it's, it's just a question of memories. It's all the different times where, I don't know, you're just kind of browsing through Boston store or you're, you're wandering around and you're looking to see, okay, what are the clothes that are on sale? Or I've, I've got to run over and I've got to buy, I got to find some sweater or something that I want to buy for my mom. All those times over the years, including that, that period of time before Al Gore invented the internet, the, the dark ages where you, you didn't have immediate access of being able to go to Amazon. And if you belong on Amazon Prime, just searching and saying, I need cargo shorts in a particular size and ordering them. You can tell what I did this morning. And, and then expecting them to come two days later where you actually had to go. I, I'm, it's the, it's the end of an era. There, there's no question about it. Let's talk to Mary in Sheboygan. Mary, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I was just at the Boston store here in Sheboygan. Mm-hmm. First of all, yes, I will miss it because they carry some brands that nobody else carries. Mm-hmm. And I really have been shopping at the Boston store for a long time. <laughs> I, but my call concerns the fact that they're loaded with merchandise in Sheboygan. Really? Huh. Yeah. Is it typical Boston store merchandise or is it stuff that, because I know some of the items they've been selling have come from like other retailers and stuff like that. Is, is there still a good selection that's out there? Uh, not really good selections, but a lot of selections. Okay. <laughs> well, I, uh, they, they're not, they're almost all Boston store and brands that they've carried. Oh, okay. Did they say? Did they have a sign up saying how much longer? Because some of these places have signs saying twelve days or seventeen days. Did they? Did they have a sign up there saying how long yes. it's going to be open? Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. From today. Think you're going back again? I doubt it. Yeah, <laughs> you've you've kind of said your goodbyes. Well, I don't want to have to paw through the merchandise, right. <laughs> and some of it isn't worth the price they're charging even now. Right. Right. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be careful. Well, thanks for the call, Mary. Again, it it's just it is the end of an era. And again, this is from the perspective of somebody who's lived here most of his life. You, I'm I'm always amazed that you have these different things that you think are institutions, whether they're you know whether they're the the annual whatever, the annual circus parade, or whether it's it's a restaurant, or whether it's a store. 
and and we always think that they're going to be there forever. They're institutions, and the truth is, there there isn't that permanence. It, that's just not the way it works. And um, Boston Store again, some place that you never thought. I think we always thought that Boston Store was going to be a part of the fabric of this state and this community, and um, this is the last days of Boston Store. So if you want to check it out or be nostalgic, uh, do not delay. All right, it's 2.54. When we come back, we'll find out what John and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. This is Jeff Wagner. Please stick around.